my politics than they do with his. And so that made me feel good. I mean, while Carl's busy watching Rachel Maddow, uh, apparently they are busy uh, thinking rightly. And so, Carl, well done. I don't know what it took for you to raise sons that are more conservative. I have no sons. <laughs> I have no sons. You know, he just had to move to America. That was That's right. Raising you here. <laughs> so, so good on you, Carl, for that. And speaking – Dr. Stephen Nichols is also uh, with us. Uh, who's Dr. research? He's is, professor. Yes, he is the Christianity and culture at Lancaster Bible exactly. College. Exactly. Um, and and actually, Steve, you you made mention of uh, Carl raising his sons here in the United States, which is obviously much better than the alternative. I tell you, I have no sons. <laughs> and I, but I, I, I do want to raise the question, Carl, of the status of your citizenship. Um, is there is there any chance of us? Um, putting in a bad word for you, perhaps getting you deported, or are you eventually going to bend the knee and become a citizen of the United States as Christopher Hitchens did? Well, a couple of comments on that, Todd. First of all, I, oh, am, I am here legally with a green card, which means I can be deported at <laughs> the moment's notice. Uh, secondly, uh, I don't need your patronage, brother. Uh, I already qualify for U.S. citizenship. Mm. My plan is to have a deathbed conversion. Uh, clearly, uh, I don't want to be associated with your country other than in terms of my salary uh, right. between now and, and the moment of death. Uh, so I'm hoping hoping to be able to take the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, which incidentally strikes me as an extremely bizarre thing to pledge allegiance to a flag. Right, uh, right. I would hope to take the pledge just round about a minute, minute and a half before I, <laughs> I pass into the, the blue yonder. Simply, I would stress, as a tax dodge. Oh, of the, uh, of course. The, tax, uh, the death duties on, on legal aliens is uh, twice that on citizens. Oh. And, of course, I believe if, if you're an illegal alien, there's no death tax. N- none so, at uh, all. Probably I just need to let my papers expire. <laughs> I, would, um, I would report it. So just want you to know that. I, I, I'll return in a minute. But, uh, we are joined again.
just sit in my office and listen to blues music and read the college books. No, I did this little book called uh, Canada News. Something about blues music is suffering, salvation. But no, I was down in the article to Steve, you know, he immediately explained it away. You said it was like something that was written down on a piece of paper that was stuck to the bottom of your shoe in a truck stop or something like that. And so you, you, you know, you clearly were not impressed by your own article, which that's another topic. Um, Suitable false humility. Uh, yeah, I, that's, that's what I thought. Yeah, I, was, I was impressed. Just a little throwaway Once thing. you can fake sincerity. It, exactly. You know. Exactly. It's just a little throwaway thing I did for R.C. Sproul's magazine. No big deal. Um, R.C. has not called me to write anything yeah, for it, Mr. Though. Sproul to you. Bit of respect. Yeah. And, now, do you call him R.C.? Because I, I noticed that, that uh, he has you out to his place in Florida quite a bit, Carl. I've been out once. And, uh, Just once? Yeah, and it was a result of his spe- people speaking to my people. Oh, I see, I see. No Steve, have you been out to the, to the Mecca I, in Florida? Four times. Four times! <laughs> I have to tell you a true story. So we were there together. I was oh, there with okay. Steve, and I'll tell together. you a true story. Uh-huh. R.C. Sproul set up uh, a book signing for the afternoon. Between, with myself and him. Steve's laughing. He knows this is true. <laughs> so I'm sitting next to R.C. Sproul for this book signing. There is a line going out all the, the way to Tampa uh-huh. out of the door to start for R.C. Sproul to sign various books. There is nobody on my side. <laughs> so finally, this young guy walks up, and I'm thinking, wow, I made it. I'm a celebrity. I'm going to sign a book. And the guy says to me, uh, uh, 
you wouldn't happen to know Stephen Nichols' <laughs> address, would you? And I said, sure, give me a piece of paper. Right on. Oh, and would you like my autograph as well? He said, no, 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 no need to bother. Yes, yeah, you're, you were his administrative assistant or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, so that, yeah, we were there together, and we actually went running together. We did, we did. Uh, and I had my pepper spray in case we, we encountered alligators. It was that in case you attracted fans. Sure, like sure. Just alligators by there. eye. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you call them now. But I had Carl. <laughs> <laughs> no fans were coming yeah, yeah, <laughs> Carl is huge. They scattered. They scattered when I, when I appeared. Yeah. I do not look good in shorts. Well, so well, well say, sure. So. I, that goes without saying. You're, you're British. Um, but... <laughs> I, I, it was the black socks and the dress shoes. <laughs> <laughs> all you have to do is bring up R.C. Stroll, and, and we've got all kinds of things to talk about. Although I do find it instructive, Carl, that he's had you once and he's had Steve four times. I don't know what that tells us, but uh, yes, we could speculate, but probably probably shouldn't. But um, Steve has this this little article, and if you know anything about Table Talk magazine, they are they're small articles, and but I, I subscribe to the magazine because it's good, and and. Steve, what I do like about the article, the article is just titled Youth, Youth Driven Culture. Um, and you raise, I think, some very good questions and, and concerns about um, what you describe here as, as youth driven culture. Quickly, how, how, do you, how would you define that and, and how do you see it in the church, this youth driven culture? I think, yeah, I think you, you got it. The, the article is trying to look at how our culture is youth driven. I think that spills into the church and, and a number of things. One is, especially you, you look at Paul, Paul's constantly talking about our weakness, our frailty. And it's hard when we have these visions thrust upon us of beauty and youth and vigor and strength to recognize that we are frail. Ultimately, we are frail people and we need to be 
The other thing I think it does is there's a reason why the church should be multi-generational. The youth need to see the old. The old need to be with the youth. We need to have children and running around. Um, there's something to that variety that helps us be truly, I think, the body of Christ. So when we have a church that sort of follows suit of a youth-driven culture, I think we set up, number one, we set up the wrong sort of standards for what is to be human, right? right? But then secondly, we sort of miss out on what is diversity. And, you know, in, in other cultures, age is actually the privilege right. over the youth, right? right? And so we've sort of reversed that, haven't we? Yeah. Um, so those are some of the things yeah. I was trying to touch on. And, and is it not true that adolescence is, is, a, is a pretty recent category historically? Uh, is, is it accurate to say at, at one time majority of human history, you were a child, and then you were an adult. adult. Um, but we've created this category of adolescence, and I, and I get it, I understand it, I just wonder ultimately how, how, how helpful that is. I, in, in the church, one of the things that concerns me uh, has been the rise, and I, and I don't want to be legalistic, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but, but the rise of phenomena like children's church, and now we're even seeing uh, the spread of, of youth services during alternative youth services during the, the gathered worship of God's people in, in the churches. And so it's conceivable to be raised in an evangelical church and never attend a, a corporate worship service with people that aren't your age um, until you get into college or past college. Mm. Uh, this is what, what I would call a dangerous development in the church. I wonder how much of that is driven as well by a fear of losing young people. We sure. all have an interest mm in young people staying in the church right. because today's young people and tomorrow's middle-aged people are right. future generations old people. Right. The church is going to die if it doesn't retain its young people right. and a great fear that in order to retain the youth in the church, we need to compete with the world around. Yeah. We need to provide them with what they're getting in the world but with a with a Christian gloss. Wholesome. Yeah, yes. a wholesome version of, yes. or, or sometimes these days not so wholesome, right. to right. be honest. Some of the things one sees. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a misguided policy mm-hmm. because it really marries you to the spirit of the age. Yeah. And while I'm not a, a hardcore, the way you retain your youth is you beat the shorter catechism into mm-hmm. them as, as soon as they're old enough to understand kind of guy. I think the old practice of catechesis and the practice of in some ways, setting your ambitions lower, mm-hmm. that Christianity is, 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 in a sense, in Christian discipline, is something to which kids grow into. Right. Uh, I think we need to set our bar lower and, and revisit the old traditional methods, right. even if we need to update them slightly. One thing we can't do is compete with the world around, because the world is always going to do that stuff better. Right. You only have to, you know, you won't laugh at this, but you only have to compare... Christian rock with real rock <laughs> to know that in the words of is it King of the Hill you yes know, you're not making Christianity better you're making rock, rock worse <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, anybody who compares Striper even to some <coughs> Coverdale Page which was really a rather an embarrassing period of, uh, uh, of, of Jimmy Page's career mm-hmm. but even to compare Striper with Coverdale Page Coverdale Page is better than sure. Striper yeah. So this idea that we can compete with the world around and win yeah. is a nonsense. Yeah. So, uh, now, I will say Striper had superior spandex, <laughs> um, but that's a topic for another show and maybe a topic for just a whole different 
program altogether. Yeah, I am glad that you finally got rid of the mullets by the way, Charles. <laughs> so, I'm sure your wife is much relieved. Uh, oh, the mullet. I, I have a little striper story if you'd like to hear. I'd love to hear Stephen. There's a nice striper story. Before he says it, I just want to set the stage here. The research professor, a research professor from Lancaster Bible College is going to tell a striper story. Okay, here you go. Here's my striper story. When I, I did this little Luther book, and I did a, a, along with it, I did a little thing on Luther's 95 Theses. Uh-huh. And this was when the film came out, oh, the, okay, uh, yes. the Luther movie. Right. So I get a call from a radio station in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that wanted me on for some afternoon show. Okay. So I was supposed to be on for an hour on this show. I was going to be talking and calling about the movie, mostly, and right. Luther. So uh, just before the time, I get a call from the producer and says, oh, we've got a little change of plans. A striper <laughs> is, in, is in town tonight for a concert. Because we're not like striper. <laughs> I remember them from the 80s. You know, I'm thinking, are these guys still on medication? They must pay for money. They ran out of money. That's the thing. Always brings so, groups back together. So they say, uh, and they've stopped by the studio. So we're only going to give you the first half of the show because we want to have Striper then. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to have Striper? <laughs> Who wouldn't want to have Striper? Not Luther. Shoved aside for Striper. <laughs> so then it gets even better. About midway through, you know, we're on a break, and producer comes on, and I'm hearing commercials in the background. He goes, hey, you know, this is going great, but I think what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to sort of segue. So we're going to bring you on with Striper. <laughs> Because <laughs> they have some things to say about Luther as well. Because, uh, yeah, because they're, you know, apparently church historians. So he goes, he just goes, uh, so think of something you can say. <laughs> and then you hear the 10, 9, 8, you know, in the background. So so I get on, and, and all I could think of was Luther played the lute. Yeah. Which is a precursor to he the guitar. And they thought that was great. <laughs> I don't know who they were. <laughs> they didn't know who Luther was. was I'm sure. <laughs> and then I got up. So, so you met B.B. King and, and Stryker. Stryker. Yeah, yeah, this, was, awesome. this was in my home. I was in Lancaster. Yeah, it was all yeah, fun. It was all, yeah. They were in Albuquerque. Yeah, 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 did you do a gig with Twisted Sister? Well, D. Snyder is on that. <laughs> um, <laughs> now I'm trying to figure out. Well, we, I, you know what? I Back to the youth-driven culture. Yeah, yeah, driven culture. I will say this. We had mentioned um, R.C. Sproul earlier. Uh, the, the lead singer who took Sammy Hagar's place in Van Halen. Yes. Um, and he only did one album with him. He, I well, forget his name. It was, uh, it was Eddie. Wasn't it Eddie Van Halen? No. He's no. the guitarist. He's the guitarist. I'm set, they're, they're, uh, they had a singer for one album. After after Sammy Hagar, is this left. relevant to you, Jim? This is so. This is relevant to R.C. Sproul. I thought it was one of the Van Halens that he knows. No, no. His name is Gary something, and he was in another band, <laughs> and he did one album with him. Okay, and he knows R.C. He on the album credits, he thanks R.C. Sproul as one of the people that he thanks. And then of course there's the Alice Cooper story. The, um, yes, exactly. That they went, they were golfing. Yes, exactly. Together. So Which is RC great. gets around. He has a, he's he's kind of a big player in uh, in arena rock. Because you realize that for any of our Yes, I'm so 
trying to get us back on track here. Uh, technology. It strikes me that technology. <laughs> well, I don't like it either, particularly. Uh, but it strikes me that technology is a medium that by and large favours the young. Uh, and one of the, I suppose one of the concerning things to me is the way that some, well, first of all, there's the democratisation of knowledge that's taken place on the internet where anybody can say anything and you don't know if they're a reliable source or not. The other side of it is it's by and large a lot of young guys and having great influence now in the church, writing on certain websites, not ordained, not accountable to anybody, standing outside of the, what I would consider to be the New Testament biblical structure for accountability. Young guys with tremendous influence. Young guys who are accountable effectively to no one. That would seem to me to be part of the of the youth culture of the church at this time that's problematic. And throw into the mix you know, something like Twitter. Twitter is a medium that is not conducive to subtle thought. Right. It's almost right. not conducive to thought at all. Sure. But I, you know, there are some who can use Twitter better than others, I'm yeah. sure. But the whole way the church is being driven by internet stuff strikes me as intimately connected to to a youth bias and also to a bias against thoughtful engagement with God's word and thought and really thoughtful engagement with the wider culture. You know, Carl, I think this is uh, something that I think you're very helpful for uh, in a prophetic voice uh, to the church. We have sort of lost this idea, and it's it's a theme that, that is very much prominent, I think, in what your writings, but we, your, your blogosphere writings, mm-hmm. but we have, um, we don't see the church gathered, and I think part of it is the variety of the church worshiping together as the uh, the sole source and means of my spiritual nourishment or the primary source, yeah, primary source yeah. of, of my of my spiritual significance uh, you know, the, the word preached and sitting under the preaching of the word in a pew with a family uh, as there's something to that and and there's something that well it's, it's been part of American evangelicalism that has almost been averse to that and has set up all these substitutes. And um, in many ways, the technology enhances the ability to do that and the accessibility to make that more prominent in someone's life than the church. And I, I think that's one of your, your uh, well, it's a prominent theme of yours, but I think it's a very helpful theme for the church um, for, as a prophetic call to ask what really drives us and what do we need as a people of God. Would you see um, a connection between uh, our overemphasis or unhealthy emphasis on individualism and youth-driven culture? In other words, kind of an anti-authoritarian, anti-structure of authority where there are offices given to the church. We have, well, not only young people, but parents. Particularly in general evangelicalism, you'll find this less, of course, in the OPC, but out in some large denominations as well as in, in non-denominational churches, there is a lot of ignorance about what Christ has given to the church by way of offices of ministry and the authority that comes from that. Um, and, and so we're, we're, we're raising generations of young people in the church that leave the church unchurched. You know, this is really interesting you talk about this because I think, I see this sometimes, I, we have a little bit different audiences because I'm a College calls in a seminary, so I'm more in the 18 to 22 year old sort of world. 
And there very much is a sort of peer sense. Uh, and, you know, I try to challenge my students on that sometimes mm-hmm. in terms of that's not community, of course, is the buzzword. So right. they sort of talk about community, 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 when the New Testament word is really church. Right. It's community within the church, but it's church, not four or five peers mm-hmm. sitting around talking. That's They find that more spiritually right. beneficial than their going to church on a Sunday morning. Right. And I, I think that's problematic. Yes. I think that's something that we need to uh, to say we're, we're sort of missing the point here. And, you know, in addition to church offices, and this probably gets us off track into a whole other topic here, but sacraments. Right. And to think about the word as a sacrament, mm-hmm. the preaching of the word as a sacrament, that's sort of lost language, especially in the world I inhabit, the broader evangelical world. Mm-hmm. And the world I inhabit as well. I, I, to, to have to explain to people who are active members of the church that sitting under the preached word, as you referenced earlier, partaking of bread and cup and, and receiving the word as the primary means by which God forms his people and grows us and disciples us, that's, that's not heard of very much in the broader evangelical world. It's, it's as if disciple-making happens in another context, and certainly there are other contexts, but the primacy of the gathered worship of God's people under the authority of the Word, receiving the means of grace that God, the Lord Jesus, has given us, um, is, is almost seen as passe or even non-essential. I think it's seen as too boring by a lot of people sure. as well. We live in a world where people like spectacular stuff. They like things instantly. Right. They like change. They like flux. The vision of the Christian life that is found in Scripture and the vision of the Christian life that I think has been found throughout much of church history has been a much more routine, dare yes. say, boring thing. The ordinary. ordinary. The ordinary. ordinary. And we don't expect spectacular fireworks every Sunday. We go, we hear the preaching of the Word. Maybe it's done well, maybe it's done indifferently. But we sit under it week by week. We take the Lord's Supper and we grow in our faith together as a body of believers. We want quick fixes. We want that technique which will get us from here to there quickly these days. The Christian life is, is a discipline. It's a routine. And we think we have to, we have to lower our bar and lower our expectations of, of what the Christian life looks like and how we get to where we need to be as Christians. I think the, I, mean, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, but I think there's a bit of an irony there because it seems like a lot of the interest people are in is so trivial compared to yeah. the eternal heavy glory matters yeah. that are in Scripture. And we have this culture, youth-driven culture, that is so fascinated by the trivial. Right. Take day after Super Bowl. Uh, how many people the day after the Super Bowl spent their time talking about the word they've heard preached right. on Sunday? And how many spent their time talking about the, the great commercials show. of the halftime show? It's, it's the evangelical preoccupation with the sensation. And you just look at the Christian bestseller list and, and read. And so if, if, if I can read somebody's fan, about somebody's fanciful trip to heaven, and this time, really now, now I really believe in heaven. That describes a lot of what is wrong with contemporary evangelicalism. It's not the ordinary means that God has given us to grow our faith. If I can be inspired by that person's trip to heaven, or this person goes out into the woods and has Jesus dictate a book to them, uh, that's what I want, rather than the ordinary but beautiful means that God has given to his people. Yeah. 
Well, thanks very much for, for joining us, oh, Steve. My pleasure, yes, for having, entertaining having you. Uh, this has been the Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Please visit our website at alliancenet.org and the website of the podcast as well, which you'll find linked uh, from there. Uh, if you're young, good-looking, with a bright outlook on life, uh, we do apologize for the disillusionment you will have experienced during this show, but this is a show by the bald, bitter, and middle-aged for the bald, bitter, and middle-aged. Look forward to seeing you next time. closes and you feel like falling down I'll carry you home tonight